Hello, Bridge Builders! I'm here with some exciting news. The first volume of interviews is now available on Amazon.com. The link can be found at eatlunchandboardgame.com. I promise that all proceeds from sales of this book will go right back into this podcast and channel. Whether that is new and better audio equipment for the podcast, or video equipment for the YouTube channel, or even more games to review, the money will not be wasted. Click over to Amazon and get your copy of Eat Lunch and Board Game, the first course today. And thank you for supporting the show. Welcome back to Electric Board Game. I'm your host, Adam Collins, and with me today is game designer Ellie Dix. How are you, Ellie? I'm very well. Lovely to be here with you today. This is my first interview across the Atlantic Ocean. Yeah. Well, this, this is a good <laughs> way to start. What can I say? Absolutely. So I ran across your book in the library. Um, the book is called The Board Game Family, and I found it strictly by going to the library and typing in the search engine board game and up it popped and brilliant. Yeah. And I said, you know what? I'm going to read this book. <laughs> um, so the book is the, I guess the subtitle is reclaim your children from the screen. Yeah. And I don't have that problem with my eight year old. Um, I, I have the problem of, I don't have time to keep playing games with you. Yeah. There's a section for that in the book. I, there, there was as I, <laughs> as I got farther into it. And yeah. uh, <laughs> when you when you've reclaimed them from the screen, what can you do with an open, enthusiastic board game player? Yeah, yeah. So over this uh, the last year, uh, we have played hundreds of games together, just he and I. And uh, yeah, and so we're looking, obviously, always looking for a good game with a solo variant to kind of to send him off for a <laughs> go, challenge exactly go go sit over there and uh and play uh we found a couple really good solo variants um but i also loved the how to get people involved and to kind of i guess convince them to yeah. try playing games yeah that's what it's really aimed at i mean there's loads in there for people that are already playing games i come you know my background is in teaching and uh, particularly in supporting schools in how to manage behavior and create cultures of outstanding behavior in schools. So I've learned a lot about behavior. And so this sort of translates into the into the book in terms of getting the best sort of board gaming experience for your family. So there's loads in there for people that aren't playing, that are, that are playing lots of games in terms of how can you have positive board gaming experiences and make sure they're not at each other's throats and you know flipping the table and everything but there's also it's, it's really designed for those people who aren't yet playing lots and lots of games and want to know what the benefits are and want to know how to start introducing it and how to really capture young people into board games because actually it's really interesting but I think adults are quite skeptical a lot of the time adults that aren't board gamers are quite skeptical about whether the kids are going to want to do that and it's not until you start doing it that actually you realize this is something that teenagers want to do and you know our own preconceptions as adults can get in the way of some really valuable family time so that's what the book's about sort of roadmap to integrating board games into family life 
Right. And and so I board game every day at lunch with my coworkers and it was fun to read some of the ideas because I I have used some of those on my coworkers <laughs> as you know. So where I worked was very uh I guess the the word would be like siloed and segmented like if you're in this group, you're in that group. And if you're in that group, then you're over there. And you don't mix. And, yeah. And so we really used board games to kind of break down those barriers. And as I like to say, build the bridges, right? Yeah. And they've really been uh, very great bridges that we've built and helped tear down a lot of those silos. And it's been interesting because we took it campus wide and there's there's board game nerds everywhere you just have to find them and if you just kind of broadcast hey we're going to play board games at the campus cafeteria people are like start showing up and then people kind of keep looking like what are you doing and then they join the email list and then we start having this huge email list and then we've got people staying after work to play um so it was was good it's, it's it's a hobby that's often behind doors as well so you unless you have a conversation with somebody about board games and you happen to find, oh, you're both mad on board games, you won't necessarily know. I mean, it's not like people who are playing football or something turning up in a certain kit or going and practicing together or, or whatever. It's, it's very different. It usually happens in people's houses. So, uh, yes, so having things in more public spaces or at least in workspaces and school spaces is a is a way to uh, for, for for people to connect who are already playing and of course yes. to invite more people in. Absolutely. So at, at my office, uh, I actually had two different foreign editions of Catan. People that go abroad find a Catan and then bring it back to me. Uh, so I have foreign editions of Catan that were sitting on my shelf in plain view of everybody. And we brought a new uh, division into my building. And as they were giving the tour to the new people, they were like, that guy's a board gamer. And I'm like, (laughs) yes, I am. Um, So how did you get into gaming? Oh, man. Well, uh, from a young age. (laughs) There's nothing wrong with that. No. So I, I was lucky, I guess, because in, you know, a time when most families were just playing the game of life and Monopoly, my parents were introducing all sorts of other kinds of games to family life. So my mum was uh, teaching maths to students, uh, student teachers. And one of the things they did every year was one of the tasks she was set them was to design their own board game. And she would bring these home for us to test, me and my sister. And then she would take me and my sister into the university and to give <laughs> feedback to all the student teachers. And we, this is from when we were six, seven, or oh my when gosh. we were 12. So I was used to kind of seeing pro, board games in prototype, feeding back on oh them, playing testing them, <laughs> and working with people on kind of development, even as a child. Oh, and wow. she was, they were both teachers, my parents, and they were looking for interesting ways to teach. And they were, I remember one of the games that we had. Um, that we played a lot, we've still got it. In fact, I don't know if you've ever heard of this game, but it did win the Spiel des Jahres in 1975. I think it was 75. It could have been 78. Railway Rivals. I read about it in your book. I've, okay, uh, I'm trying so, to track it down. Um, well, good luck. My own copy. Yeah. Good luck. <laughs> That's what eBay's we have, for. 
we have 38, something like 38 maps across my family. Just ridiculous. There's so many different Railway Rivals maps in the family. It's brilliant. And and so we were playing these quite obscure games that was created by a teacher. And I think my mum found it in some uh, teacher's magazine. And she you know, sent away a check in the post with her little form and got the copy back. And, um, and, and I was introduced to, to, to board games that way. And my dad was big into gamification. So uh, he would try and make all sorts of boring tasks more interesting by throwing random numbers at them. So, you know, oh, look, we've got a Sunday free. What should we do? We'll go for a walk. And we wouldn't just go for a walk. He'd have to write, he'd write a computer program that would generate a random number that would pull this random number, uh, which would then correspond with uh, a grid reference, and that would be where we'd go for our walk. <laughs> Right. So I, I, I was very much kind of brought up in this world of crazy, uh, crazy games and gamification. And we used to we used to uh, customize the games that we had. We used to create new cards for them. We used to put different bits from one game, you know, board from one game and join it with components from another game. So even though I didn't know it was called game design, that's what we were sort of messing around with from an early age. Well, now you are a game designer, yeah. and your company is the Dark Imp, right? And he has got to be one of the cutest little <laughs> uh, mascots I've ever seen. He's pretty cool. Uh, yeah, and so also I want to mention uh, in the book, if you guys, you know, track this book down, guys. Trust me um, that in the book, the Dark Imp hides throughout the book and pokes his head in randomly, and it's it's kind oh. of a it's, but the it's kind of a. The imp is everywhere, all through the <laughs> games. I mean, uh, the, the imp comes it comes in every game, and in the, in in the games we have these wooden, the meeples are imp shaped. So there you uh, go. And all the game boxes have got the imps on them, and the imps oh, everywhere man. because everybody loves the imps. And it's a very deliberate choice, you know. I wanted a, it's a, I'm creating games for families, but primarily games for families with teenagers and preteens so i'm thinking about those high school kids middle school kids who um you know might be pulling away from their parents a little bit and we're trying to reconnect the family so it had to be very deliberately had to be branding that would appeal to the parents who are paying and buying for the game but also appeal to the kids that they're going to be you know put in front of i don't want anyone to look at a game and think oh this is going to be boring or this is going to be too childish i wanted them to be pulled in that's what the dark imp's about well and he definitely does that i can tell you that <laughs> uh so also um your book i i want to keep mentioning it because it was just such a fun read um throughout the book you have games that you suggest and then in the back you know you list them all again um, yeah, and of I've course already... that's going to go out. That goes out of date almost as quickly as it's written with the number of games coming out. But I did try and pick games that are uh, many of them are hopefully going to 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 have longevity. The the only one that I have been that I really wanted that I was unable to track down was Room Twenty Five. Oh yeah, that's a good game. And that game. Uh, that one just sounded amazing as it's kind of an escape room where you're prisoners and yet somebody could be a guard and the one and versus many. Yeah, exactly. It's it's sort of 
one versus many or two versus many, according to <laughs> how many people are playing. But it's sort of this semi-cooperative thing. You don't know who the traitors are. And you're revealing rooms as you walk into them. I, and I came oh across gosh. this game at the most brilliant game night or game day. It was in a convent in York in, in the UK. We were, uh, we were there for the weekend, my son and I. And we and what do we do when you go away for the weekend? You look for the local board gaming groups. And I the do that all the time. Yeah, and the local escape room. <laughs> so we turned up at the convent where the local board gaming group meets for the whole day. Brilliant, and that's where I was introduced to Room Twenty Five. Oh my gosh, that's I. Uh, so it's only available right now in from the manufacturer, which is in France, I think. And to ship it over to me was like going to be ridiculous. So I'm like, hopefully they kind of push yeah. it back out a little wider. Well, and people uh, can get them from me, and I'm happy to do very budget shipping, which will take ages to reach you. But uh, <laughs> but you will get it at some point. So well, that's what we were talking about before we hit record. Uh, yeah. You sent me you, a copy of your book is on its way to me, and a copy yeah. of my game is on its exactly. way. It'll be interesting to see they'll, they'll pass each yeah. other somewhere and see see which one gets there let's, first. Let's see what happens. <laughs> so, um, if I was going to come over to your house, which would be not an easy drive for me, um, what <laughs> game is currently sitting out on your table? uh right right now it's uh, well right now is um maglev metro have you heard of it mm -mm. i'm i'm it's sitting out on my table because i'm reviewing it for tabletop gaming magazine and it's what they've sent me to review this month it's a pick up and deliver game so maglev stands for magnetic levitation Yes, I, I did see something like that. I was a little bit disappointed that there's no magne magnetic levitation <laughs> in the game. That does feel like it should be there. Right, I, I think <laughs> it's a bit of a mistake calling it that. And honestly, the production quality is outstanding in this game. But still you feel disappointed that the little metro trains don't levitate above the board. I mean, never before have I been disappointed about the lack of levitation in a game. But because they called it that, I'm disappointed. <laughs> that was a bit of a mistake. But you know, it's it's uh, the components are excellent. I need to play it a few more times. Uh, we've had a couple of games. You know, as usual, I misread some of the rules the first time around. So uh, I I can't even tell you. Uh, my son and I were playing a game, and we realized every time we played it, we messed a rule up. And I think now. Four or five games in, I think we now play the game properly. Oh, it's but so it took us four to or five games. Though. You know, because you because every time you're learning a new game, you kind of have to get the gist of it and just play it through and see what happens. And then you get to the end of the game and think, oh, well, that's a bit of a broken strategy. Maybe <laughs> it's wrong. <laughs> then you, then you find out it absolutely is yeah, wrong. I yeah. misread that completely. <laughs> And also on my table at the moment, you'd find Quacks of Quedlinburg because it's one of the few games that my husband will play because he's not a big board <laughs> gamer, but he loves that one. And the other one that's almost always on the table is Terraforming Mars because it's the kid's favourite game. Well, that and you can't pack it up. It takes too long to pack it up. Because... We have all the expansions. <laughs> yeah, my, one of my best friends has that game and it literally just sits on a table yeah. because packing it up takes way too long. 
Yeah. And I have, I, I backed the big box on the Terraforming Mars big box, which is, I mean, <laughs> I never thought I would do this, but it's just the, it's just a box. It's just a big enough box to put all the stuff in and some souped up components, you know, some proper, oh, yeah, the, nice the little 3D, 3D printed. Yeah. I've never done that before on Kickstarter. I've never just backed something which isn't a new game in itself. It's just a bigger <laughs> box for the games you already have. Well, that, yeah. Well, my friend backed that too. Uh, I'm waiting on it to arrive at his place, and then I'll go give it a shot over there. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm sure it'll make the whole experience even better. <laughs> we'll see. Uh, so, do you board game at lunch? No, because I board game all of like the rest of the time. <laughs> <laughs> when you when you when you're board gaming as a job, it would be kind of weird at lunch as well. I mean, it is my job and it is my hobby too. So I will play games at any opportunity. But weirdly, I tend to read at lunchtime. <laughs> I board game every, all the other time and then I read at lunchtime. I get it. I get it. I read. I mean, well, that's how I came across you is yeah. reading. So, oh, so let me ask the contentious question. How do you pronounce Klaus Teuber's game, The Settlers of Catan? Catan, I'll see. Now. Catan, not Catan. Catan. <laughs> I'm, I'm British. Sure. Catan, yes. At least it's not Catan, you know. One of my other favorite questions is if you had a lunch, since you don't, but if you did board game on a lunch hour, a full 60 minutes, what is your go-to 60-minute game? Okay. I don't know if it's a go-to game because I play so many different games, but I suppose I'd pick out something like photosynthesis because I still think it's brilliant the way that it no, works it's... and it's beautiful and it's interesting and every game's different and I love the trees growing. <laughs> I'm a sucker for a pretty game. No, it, it's a very pretty game. Yeah. Very pretty. So a lunch half hour, a 30 yeah. minute game. Yeah. Um, I'm really loving Trails of Tucana. Have you played that one? I'm not familiar with that one. It's a it's a flip and write game. So it's got cards. The Sounds card, right up my alley. Yeah, it's it's absolutely brilliant. You can play with any number of players. It's sim simultaneous play, so everybody's active on every turn. Everybody uses the same flip of the cards. Um, when you flip the cards, it shows two different kinds of terrain out of four, and some of them appear more often. And you have to draw a, a line, so a route, between those two different terrain types in adjacent hexes on your map. And that's what you do on a turn. You draw one line between two hexes on, on the map. And you go through the deck twice. After the end of the first round, you're doing a scoring round. And you're scoring all these special little icons that you are trying to connect to points around the edge of the board, which are villages. Yeah, and, and then you score again the second time through the deck and you get points for being the first one to connect to the same type of village. You get lots of points for connecting these special icons to the villages. And uh, it's just, it's really fun. It's a network builder. It's quick and it's fun. No, I'm going to have to track that one down uh, because like with all the Zoom calls and the 
Teams calls and all the video conferencing, my buddies and I have really taken to rolling rights and flipping yeah. rights because yeah. you know as long as somebody has the deck and everybody's yeah. got the score sheet, yeah. just hand hold them up. Or indeed, with this game, you can just say water to mountain. You don't need to hold the cards up even. <laughs> so it works really. It works really well. Uh, I got it at yeah. Essen 2019, which was the last Essen there was, and uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Something happened in 2020. Yeah, yeah. hopefully we'll be back this year. <laughs> <laughs> I hope. I'm, I'm really looking forward to getting the uh, the board gaming convention scene back up, yep, up and running. Definitely. So, what would your hidden gem or guilty pleasure game be? Hidden gem has got to be Railway Rivals, probably, because it's still, you know, it's a good game. It's it's a bit out. It's a bit dated. But also, I, there's a game. I don't know how you define hidden gem like this is about 1100 on board game geek so it's not really hidden <laughs> but i'm surprised it didn't get more it's quite new and and i think it's going to sort of fizzle out it doesn't seem like i haven't heard anybody talk about it it's called paris la city de la lumiere have you heard of it no it's a two-player game uh tile laying it's really fun it's i really like it um but I haven't heard anybody else talking about it. I haven't mentioned, haven't heard it mentioned anywhere. It's quite encouraging that it's at 1100 on Board Game Geek because people clearly like it, but I haven't heard anybody talk about it. Interesting. Hmm. So earlier you talked about uh, backing Terraforming Mars Big Box on Kickstarter. Yeah. And I, and I know that you're also a Kickstarter creator. I am. Um, you just had Uranus. Yep, Uranus. Uranus. I don't know how you say it over across the well, pond. Well, we so. say Uranus, and that's why I called it that. Very, because I'm all for it. it's it <laughs> it just makes people laugh. <laughs> I have the best review videos for Uranus because all these grown men can't stop laughing about the game name, oh, and I made boy. this brilliant compilation, four minute <laughs> compilation. Just with people sniggering and <laughs> about the game. Though. That's awesome. Yeah, it's really that's good. awesome. <laughs> oh, so so you're a Kickstarter backer and creator, so that's exciting. It's a great way to get involved in the board gaming community. Um, there's always good stuff out there. Yeah, I find myself at times telling myself I can't back anymore. I've got too much out there. But I think so. that one of the one of the things that actually makes a huge difference to small creators. So I do back things like terraforming Mars and obviously they don't need me as a backer because they are huge. Um, but I also try and back a lot of uh, projects from smaller publishers. And even if you don't want the game, just backing at the $1 level uh, or the one pound level, whatever the currency is makes a huge difference to small publishers because, uh, you know, Kickstarter is a search engine. It mm -hmm. helps other people find it. It gets up the rankings. It allows you to communicate with those people. It, as a small publisher, it, it, it kind of gives you permission to send them updates and mm -hmm. keep in touch with them. And it, and it gets you a relationship with all those backers that you might not otherwise do. So I think that uh, I, I'm, I'm very pro you know, just going around and just giving people a dollar here and a dollar there and just, you know, just to keep in touch with people, really. Yeah, I, I like to go and back at the uh, print and play level. Yeah. A lot of them. Yeah. Because three, four, five bucks, you get the print and play. I've got gigabytes 
of print and play files. Uh, I won't even try to tell you how many games I've got and how, <laughs> versus how many I've actually printed off. Oh, it's it's sad. <laughs> my, my friends make fun of me. I've got a, a, a file folder here next to me that is pages thick of print and plays I've printed off and I, I haven't, <laughs> I haven't put together yet. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I agree. Uh, getting out there and making the connections is huge, especially in, in our industry. Um, yeah. Making yeah. the connections is, it's just, it's priceless. Like yeah. getting to know people, uh, going to your library and Googling or uh, doing a search for a board game. And then you wind yeah. up meeting people, <laughs> people across, across the, uh, the ocean. But I think one um, of the wonderful things about the board game community is that it's so open and it's so inclusive. And actually, people are genuinely happy to connect with you almost all the time. And yeah. it's, it's a great industry to be in. It, re- it really is. It's a, it's a very supportive place. Yeah. So I want to talk. I do throw game nights with my friends. And at the end, towards the end of your book, you, you described a weekend long game called Murder. Yeah. I cannot wait. <laughs> It's to so unleash this to unleash this game on my friends and family. Oh, that's brilliant. So can you describe it real quick for people who are not familiar with the game? Okay, so it, it can last a weekend. It's it's good a weekend is good is a good length of time for yeah. it. You, you can play it in a shorter length of time. So if you're only together for an afternoon or something, you can, but you find that you can't be as creative and surreptitious as you would be over a weekend. So what you do at the beginning of the weekend is you put all the names of everybody that's there. So it works when there's a lot of people best. So you put all the names of everybody at the weekend in a big hat and then you write the same number of locations in a hat. So if you've got 12 people, you're going to find 12 different locations in the house or grounds. So you might have the garage, you might have the den, you might have the, by the front door or something like that. And then you're going to put 12, if there's 12 people, same number of people as things, you're going to write different items. So it could be toothbrush or uh, you could have candlestick, you could have tent peg mallet or something and you're going to put all of those in another jar or hat or something and then each person is going to pick out one uh, piece of paper from each hat and that's what their objective is so they, they, they're trying to so they might get Auntie Allison in the uh, shed <laughs> with the uh, rolling pin Right. And so you have to, at some point, give Auntie Allison a rolling pin in the shed. And if you manage to get her to take the rolling pin in the shed, then you say, ha ha, you're dead. And And then you take the the pieces of paper that that other player was trying to accomplish. And you then you have a second objective. And, and 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 the other player unfortunately is dead and is now just watching the fun. Oh man. You can I... start a side a side game with all the dead people at a certain point in the weekend. <laughs> I just when I read that, I love how you say, like, you know, towards the end of the weekend, nobody's taking anything from anybody. Right. Nobody yeah. pass me the salt. Nope. 
<laughs> doing it. Hey, Everybody's can you hand me that dirty... with their hands up. Hey, can you bring the dirty dishes off the table? Mm-mm. Nope. Nope. <laughs> Do it yourself. Those, those dirty dishes are going to find their own way from the table yeah. over to this sink because I'm not picking that bowl up. Exactly. You have to do things like um, trip, like, like have a really dramatic trip in front of somebody. <laughs> throwing whatever you've got in your hand <laughs> and then the reflex is that they catch it and try and stop you falling and then you you're dead <laughs> i ran across that and i was like oh my gosh this is totally what i'm going to do i, yeah. I cannot i can't wait uh i told one of my friends about it he's he's excited for it i told my wife about it she thinks it's hilarious um i i can't wait to do it I, it just I read across that in the book and I was like, this, this is, this is brilliant. A good I one. like it. <laughs> so one of the other things I wanted to talk about uh, was at the very beginning of the book, actually it's in the introduction, I think. <laughs> so before I even really started reading it was that it talked about playing games, improves memory formation, cognitive skills, increasing processing speed. There's so much good stuff that happens because of board gaming. Right. And me being the, nerd that i am i kept it took me forever to get through these what three pages because i kept hitting your footnotes and going and watching the ted talk and yeah. going and reading the, the article and i'm like man i'm never gonna get through this book but once i got through the introduction uh, there, I, are I did more, start... there are more footnotes in the introduction than anywhere else <laughs> yeah i was writing i was writing these things knowing absolutely that they were true and then the publisher was saying but where's the evidence? I'm like, oh man, it just everybody, you know, you know this if you if you play board games. So I was going to find the evidence after after knowing the thing, which was quite interesting. Um, yeah, it's it. I was a teacher, and then I ran an education company for twenty years. And um, one of the really interesting things that happened to me was so we lived in Spain for five years, and our oldest son, who's now eighteen went to spent his first three years of schooling in Spain and then came back when we came back to the UK he went into a class where of course everybody else had had three years of schooling in the UK and he couldn't at that point speak uh, write he could speak English he couldn't write or read English because he was writing and reading in Spanish and so at the end of that first week of school I was uh, I was called in and she did say a few things about like you know he's he's writing phonetically like you would in Spanish. And I was like, yeah, well, that's normal. But one of the things she said is, you play lots of board games at home, don't you? And I was like, well, yes, but how did you know? Has he been talking about it? And she said, no. And at this stage, I was not working in board games. I hadn't told her about that we play board games. She just said, I just, I just can tell because children that play lots of board games approach learning in a different way. Problem solving. Problem solving, um, sort of experiment, being a bit more experimental in, you know, logical thought and systematic working and not worrying if you uh, can't do something, like not worrying if you fail at something (laughs) because you're used to losing in games. And, you know, if you don't get something right the first time, kind of do it again and try it in a different way. And, yeah, it's the decision making. It's all of these different things that are that you do when you're playing a game because you're trying to win that game, right? You do it because of the victory condition of that game. 
you don't do it because you're trying to learn about that thing. That's why it's so powerful as a tool for learning because you're involved in the game and you want to beat the game so you get better at these at these different at these different things and develop these all these skills. And these of course are I'm just talking about any game. I'm not talking about specifically educational games. And there are of course educational games which where the mm-hmm. theme is designed to teach a certain aspect of the curriculum or something but this is just with any game all these different things the visual spatial stuff the communication between players the strategy the logic the decision making it's is a lot and of course that's just the learning skills and then there's all the other stuff as well the kind of the social skills the you know getting used to failure you know, there's there's so many things, so many benefits of playing games in terms of the relationships with people and all sorts. Yeah, my son really is big into chess. Yeah, and I'm terrible at chess. I I can make the pieces move, and I was able to beat him a lot when he was learning chess, just because I knew how to make the pieces move better. But now I just try to hold my own for like 10 minutes like yeah if I, can just last, if I can just last 10 minutes with him i feel like i've you've I've accomplished yeah. something but yeah he uh he plays a lot of games with me um he's at you know he's probably my number one well he is according especially according to my nerdy app where i track my gaming uh he's my number one play playing opponent but you can like you're saying you can see you know he loses and it's like, okay, well, time to shuffle up and try again. Yeah, um, and it's fascinating because this is the biggest reason that many families report for not playing games because the children can't cope with losing or a child can't cope with losing. And it's enough to stop people playing completely. And it's a real shame. And there, of course, there are lots of, and I've, I write, I've written blogs about this and done videos about this. There are all sorts of things you can do to try and help a child who can't can't really cope with losing a game. And it's normal. It's because everything that they're doing all the time is uh, about being right. You know, at school, they're, you know, they're, they're trying to get things right. And they're maybe not comfortable when they've, with that failure. And of course, you've got to get children used to that so that they can learn from it. Um, and uh, but but I think it's really sad, actually, that that, that sort of uh, response is what stops lots of people playing. And they're probably playing, you know, stupidly long games like Monopoly, where, you know, when you lose, you've been losing for hours and it's desperate. <laughs> so, you know, one of my top tips for anyone in that situation is play games where it's not obvious who's winning all the way through the game. Play games like we've talked about Trails of Tucana, for example, where you're playing on your own map. Nobody can see. You don't even have to tell anyone what your score is. You don't even have to count up your score if you don't want to. Play games where the scoring is disconnected from the gameplay and then you can build in something like half an hour or longer between the playing of the game and the scoring so that you've got... You know, so that it's not about the gameplay, that the scoring yeah. is different. And then you then you start to uh, focus the child much more on what it's like to be enjoying playing the game. Yeah, no, I, I agree. And I knew I was in trouble when he was like three and he's already playing King of Tokyo with me, yeah. and beating me. <laughs> um, and then when he was probably still three, maybe four he was playing Monopoly Junior and 
he looks at me, he's like, Dad, there's no strategy to this. No. And I'm like, <laughs> No choice. Oh, yeah. <clears throat> well, uh, you're a bit young to say there's no strategy, but you're right. <laughs> yeah. And so now with his sister, she's two. So we're working with, you know, Candyland and just matching colors and moving along the board and, you know, snakes and ladders or shoots and ladders or yep. whatever you want to call it, wherever you're yep. from. Um, and just counting and stuff like that. And, you know, he's like, oh, these games are boring. I'm like, buddy, you played these games yeah. to learn how to count, how to, to learn games. how to match colors. Yeah. And now to learn how, you know, it's your turn and you, you're, you are a color, <laughs> yeah. you are moving. And um, this is how you hold a set of cards. Yes, we we had the little uh, holder. Yeah, yeah, because we were playing Uno. Yeah, a good tip for that is uh, if you don't have those card holders, two Pringles uh, lids with a sort of tack in between them. You know, one of those brass (laughs) tacks. You can make your own if you put them like that. Awesome. Yeah. Never, yeah, I never thought of that. But yeah, we uh, we I had a little that. card holder. <laughs> we had a little card holder because we played a lot of Uno. Uh, right now, our latest obsession is playing these old games. So we learned how to play Backgammon. Yeah, I love Backgammon. Yeah. Oh, I'm, yeah. We play each other in Backgammon a lot. And our newest one is Cribbage. Um, it's a what you can do with just a deck of cards is insane. Oh God, yeah, completely. I. I I think that, that just a deck of cards is a wonderful thing. And I I will always have one in my handbag. I, that's what you, yeah. Yeah. I never want to be without the cards. There's so many things you can do with yeah. them. I'm going to put a deck in my car because I never want to be without a, a deck of cards. After after reading your book, I'm like, I should keep a deck of cards in the glove there's box there's of so my car. There's so many things you can play. But, you know, oh, I, I created a game, the one that came to Kickstarter just before um, Christmas. Well, September, it was a Christmas delivery. So um, I did it, it was a tight turnaround. But I, what I did was I said, this is UK only. Now, that didn't stop US backers backing it and saying, we're not that right. Where's, where's we, didn't read, we didn't read the whole thing. No, you didn't read it. It's just UK only. But I thought this is my first Kickstarter. I'm going to do something. You know, I, I know that one of the biggest problems with Kickstarter is the is shipping. I'm going to make it as straightforward for myself as possible. So I did that. But the reason I did that, it was a, I know in the States, you probably, most people don't know what a Christmas cracker is. And that's the other reason I did it as a UK only thing. A Christmas cracker is a sort of, tube with a a firecracker type thing inside and you pull both ends one person pulls one end another person pulls the other end you do it at the christmas dinner table and inside then drops out into the gravy or somewhere um a paper crown of the thinnest paper possible like it's going to break before you can get it onto your head It, it usually does yeah and then a joke terrible joke and then a crappy plastic toy, usually actually something like a golf tee or, um, or a hair grip or something. Just rubbish, just total rubbish. And everybody's really excited and it's like this institution and then it's really disappointing always. <laughs> well, these, these cause so much mess and they're so un-eco-friendly. So I thought, right, I'm going to make... A giant cracker with six games in it um and so it's not really pulled it's sort of twisted open this cracker 
And then inside, there's lots of components. Now, there's a deck of cards. It's a custom deck, but it's very much designed to be like a standard deck of cards. And you can create all sorts of different games from it. So it's got um, 36 cards uh, in six numbers, one to six, six suits, uh, six colors, and then six different borders. So uh, there's these different combinations of cards. And uh, in the game, in the in the cracker, there are six different games you can play with these components. So there's also some cubes. There's the imp meeples. There's some little component screens that you can hide stuff behind. And there's six rule sets. And they're all six completely different games. But also there's a little booklet with the Kickstarter things, about, with the Kickstarter pledges, that was a sort of game design challenge. So the idea is that you're going to use these components to create your own games and design your own games. And I've created six for you. But there's so many more that you can create. And I had 25 different challenges set by 13 different designers um, in this little booklet, which is now available online if you want to see it. Um, yeah, as a PDF, awesome. you can just look at. Yeah, it's really cool. So I think that, you know, that, that the cards have uh, really inspired me from a game design point of view because it's just, that, that there's just endless possibilities for, for what you can do. And there's so many, if you think about it, there's so many games, brilliant games, that are just consecutive numbered cards, right? There's like um, No Thanks, for example, that's just, you know, three to 35 and some little tokens. And that's, there's interesting decisions in that. There's The Mind, which is up to 100, I think. And that's just some weird cooperative mind reading game. And then there's Sex uh, Nymphs, which is that, or Take Six, which is that one where you're completing rows and you're putting the next number up and everybody's selecting a card together and you've got to place them in uh, numerical order and lines. And that's very strategic. And they're all completely different, these games. But they're all just cards with numbers on. And I find that so fascinating that that there's so much rich gameplay from such really uh, simple components. That's why you always have to have a set of cards, deck of cards. Oh, you never never know what you might come up with. Yeah. Well, we were cleaning out the basement uh, and kept finding more and more decks of cards. And my wife was like, you don't need any more decks of cards. I'm like, whoa, whoa. (laughs) You can, I had a Star Trek deck of cards. I had, two or three maybe four or five different james bond i'm a huge james bond fan so i've got at least three different james bond decks of cards we found some x-men decks of cards and batman decks of cards and in the end i don't know if i even had like a standard bicycle or hoyle deck of cards (laughs) and uh so we uh we found one actually my wife was a teacher and so she had decks of cards for something she was teaching and we found an unopened pack and that's like the deck that my son and I have been using for cribbage because we knew the whole deck was there. There was yeah. nothing special to it. But yeah, I mean, there's just there's books and books just on oh, yeah. games you can play with just a standard 52 cards plus two jokers and yep. go. I'm and... very privileged to call a complete game. There's a a guy called David Parlett, who, if you've got any books on 
So he's written so he's a games historian and a games inventor, and he's really interested in card games. And he's written a lot of the you know the Penguin book on card games, the Penguin book on patience games, all sorts of stuff like that. And I'm very privileged to call him one of my friends and met him uh, at a convention where we were both speaking on a, a panel where we were sort of uh, doing a rundown of the last 41 years of the Spielders Yares quickly, you know, in sort of an hour and going through all the games <laughs> and work out which was, which was the best Spielders Yares game. And he was on the panel because he has won a Spielders Yares, which is a much better claim to fame than why I was on the, the panel because that... Um, I it, Spilled as Yaris is about family games, right? And um, people know me as somebody who is interested in family games. So, um, yeah, so he won the first Spilled as Yaris for his game, Hare and Tortoise, which Hare is and Tortoise, still yes. a fabulous game. It's fantastic. From 1979. It's still brilliant. We play it often because my, my son really loves it. Yeah, I, actually, I don't own that one, but I have played it. I love it with your bet in the carrots and yeah. Moving and yeah, it's a but lot. If of, you want a, a really, game. if you want a really crazy game, just using a set of uh, standard playing cards, look up Gooseberry Fool, which is David, one of David Parlett's games created for just a standard deck of cards. You have, you end up with, I think you only have thirty-three cards that you use from the deck, and it's for exactly three players. You must have three players, and you're always trying to be in the middle. It's absolutely crazy. So if you are the odd one out, you get to go forward. You get points, but you never want the most points. You want the middling points. So it's really, really difficult, and it's completely chaotic, and it's brilliant fun. It's really hard to have a proper strategy in because it's so difficult to work out how to be in the middle all the time. But it's it's very different from other card games. It's a trick-taking game, but it's um, it's very fast-paced and silly. It's, it's worth a look. <laughs> I'll have to definitely try to track that one down because we do tend to have, if, if we can talk uh, my wife into playing, we do have three of us. Okay. You could just find it online. It's on his website. <laughs> my, my wife comes downstairs last night and she's like, you want to play that Miles game? We're like, the Miles game? Then we realize she's about Millborns <laughs> or, how, or however you properly say it. I, I probably butcher the crap out of it. But. Brilliant. But yeah, so we sat down and played that last night. Uh, that's one of our top three-player games that we we play all the time. The game is, a, you know, like I said, I read a lot. It, I read a book that was like, listen, all these games. And that one's about car racing. And my son really likes cars and board games. So we tracked it down, uh, which just turned out just going to the game shop down the street. They had a <laughs> copy sitting there. It was collecting dust. Literally, I like dusted it off to go yeah. to go buy it. Um, and we've already played it over 20 times. Wow. Um, such a great game and so then we got like we got the wife involved so now we have you know we can play more but yeah i'm gonna have to definitely track this other one down and uh anything we can play with three players is, is a blast so. well you just that you can just google it and play it with you know it's on his website you can just play it with with uh, standard cards so easy excellent excellent <laughs> well ellie i would like to really really thank you uh for being on my show today this That's has been, been great this has been great i love it um, if anybody wants to reach out to you, how can they do that? Well, you can find me through my website, which is thedarkimp.com, uh, through the contact page. I'm on Twitter at Ellie Dix Tweets. I'm on Facebook and Instagram at The Dark Imp. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> I think I tracked you down through your website, uh, The Dark Imp. Uh, like I said, oh man, he's just the cutest little guy that <laughs> made me read the book. I already loved the book, but made the book even more entertaining reading through it and, and seeing him like poking his head out from the, you know, between the pages and stuff like that. So I loved it. I'm glad you liked uh, it. <laughs> yeah, it, it was fantastic. Uh, and as usual, you can reach out to me via Facebook at facebook.com slash eatlunchandboardgame or email me at eatlunchandboardgame at gmail.com. And remember, board games build bridges. Average Joe's Gaming is a weekly podcast brought to you by us. I'm Joe. I'm Tom. We talk about all things game-related. In this hour-long podcast, you'll discover what has arrived in the game room, which Funko Pop Tom just could not resist, and maybe, if you're lucky, we might get around to talking about games. Might. Tune in weekly. You can find us on all of your favorite podcast formats. Stay in tune with all things sports around Indiana and the nation with the Crash Course Podcast. Each week, we tackle the big storylines from the world of the Colts, Pacers, and the Indiana College scene, while also keeping a pulse on the nation. We record live weekly at twitch.tv slash 3cmedia and can be found on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, wherever podcasts can be heard, you can catch the Crash Course Podcast. When you're gaming, why not be comfy? Go over to supportplayer.org. Click on the cards, pieces, and dice to get some merch. These t-shirts are some of the most comfortable I have ever worn. That's supportplayer.org, and there's a link on eatlunchandboardgame.com.